Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing well. Uh, Off to another big week, uh, both in my life and on the show, so excited about uh, the show. There you go. It's, you know, it's the first day of the week any way you look at it. And we've got uh, school starting back this week, too. Do you, guys, uh, do, you, do you guys start that earlier, or are you more civilized down there in uh, Louisiana? Uh, we're starting earlier and earlier all the time, it seems like. So, yeah, the, uh, the public schools are back in. Um, it's interesting. My, uh, my college uh, kids um, are both going to a school that are, it's on the quarter system, and so they don't start until the 1st of September. Uh, oh, well, the, that's uh, better. The, the that's quarter. the way it ought to work. Yeah, that's the way it ought to work. And it's the way it did work when we were kids, right? I mean, yeah, we pretty absolutely. much had the month of June, July, and August off. And uh, that's not the case. Well, uh, Stephen, I'm just glad you will allow that you and I were kids at the same time. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, when, when, uh, when a brief I overlap. A, right? yeah, when I was a kid and 20 years before when you were, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're pretty close, I think. Exactly. Years yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah but, it, it, yeah, at school you start later. It starts earlier and earlier all the time. Um, and uh, Wednesday is like the first full day of school for for my bunch. And, I don't know, it just seems like... The summer just blasts by, but uh, there you have it. Back to the back to the old grind. Well, on the yeah. other hand, there's other ways of looking at these things. I guess that's, that's right. The point of, and, the point of our program. It's the show, right? We, we, uh, this is the other hand show. So, so. Th- this is this is the other hand show. This might be a regular thing. We might we might do this once in a while because I'll tell you, as strongly as we believe the things we believe around here, uh, there's also interesting arguments to be made on the other side and. It just struck me as I was researching topics for this week that I kept seeing things that kind of flew in the face of things that we've talked about recently on the show. And I thought, well, that would kind of make an interesting topic for a show in its own right. So that's that's what we're doing. Let me give you an example. You know, uh, let me kind of oh, tell you the, uh, an experience I had back in law school that kind of applies to this. We, no, uh, let's hear it. Um, I was on moot court, which uh, moot court is a uh, is a is a thing that you do in law school sometimes, uh, you know, if, if you care to do so, and that is uh, you, you'd uh, uh, have like a, uh, a mock court situation where you're given a side in, uh, to, to argue, um, you know, and, and you would learn, you know, your case inside and out. And often, uh, you know, a, the, uh, the professor that's uh, overseeing that would say, okay, Mr. Gordon, I, I, that's, uh, that's, that's a good argument you just made for, uh, for your side. Um, now give me the ar- now step over to the other side. Give me the other argument. No, right. right. Yeah, and, I mean, and and the the way uh, to be a good advocate for your side, it was always stressed was to know exactly what the arguments are for the other side. Right. So you can meet those arguments. So I guess that's part of what we're doing here. Is it, we're not necessarily agreeing with everything that'll be brought up tonight, but uh, you got to know you got to know the uh, what the other side's saying. <laughs> and that's uh, right. So well, be- it's it's true, and it's it's just interesting that reasonable people these these aren't crazy 
things yeah. we're going to be reading. Yeah. They're, they're not like we should all go live in huts or anything like that. These these aren't crazy ideas. These are just reasonable people looking at the same evidence we're looking at, looking at the same kind of developments we're looking at, and coming to startlingly, somewhat startlingly different conclusions, really. So it right. uh, makes it kind of fun. Let's, let's take an example here. We were talking, I think it was a week ago Friday, um, last Friday, about how people are kind of being sucked into the virtual world. Our devices are kind of taking us into into another world and, and taking us out of this world. And, and I had some very common sense advice about, you know, shut your phone off once in a while, right? Go on vacation. Right. Don't be staring at the phone. Set some limits. Don't, don't let the kids have too much access. Don't let the kids have too early access. So you know, all those kind of reasonable common sense. I mean, that's us towing the same line that you would hear on the Today Show or something like that, right? I'm, I'm trying to think of the most banal, like, boring place to get technology advice, right? But right. if... If, if you were to hear the most mainstream advice, we were giving it, right? And, yeah. you know, which we do once in a while because if, if the seemingly mainstream advice is right, we don't shy away from it just because it's kind of bourgeois, I suppose. But yeah, or anti-tech in that case, in a, in a, sense, in a sense. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit anti-tech. Not really, not really anti-tech. Yeah. Anti-tech abuse, anti-letting tech get the upper hand uh, right. by being anti-being damaged we, by We tech. just anyway, want tech to serve us. We don't want to serve the tech, right? That's, that's exactly. The exactly. Right. So then you get this story. Let them play. Kids glued to phones could save the UK, ex-spy chief says. It's just an unexpected thing to read. And uh, if you follow the link, there's this, this adorable little girl on her iPad here. And you, <laughs> you look at it and you go, oh, okay, well, this guy says, you know, and it's charging, right? So she can't even wait for it to charge. She needs to. She needs. <laughs> yeah, she, she needs to be on it all the time. Like I, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're on it while it's charging too, and uh, and and when when it's when it's not charging, every other time you just uh, are on those things. That's yeah. that's right. So, a- according to uh, what is the Robert Hannigan? He's the former director of the government communications headquarters, which I guess is uh, you know gives him this intelligence. Uh, aspect to his to his view of the world. He says, we need young people to explore this digital world just as they explore the physical world. He said, adding Britain is desperately short of cyber skills. The baseline of understanding is too low and often behind our competitors. So for one thing, I guess this doesn't contradict anything we said necessarily about the U.S. because he is talking specifically about <laughs> Britain's needs here, although well, you, you I, I might would, get someone to make a similar case for the, the same. Yeah, I suspect his idea would be a quote, uh, very similar for uh, U.S. kids, too, uh, I, would, I would just guess. If, uh, probably so. Pro- probably yeah. so. So the idea here is, look, we're in a race. We're in a race for our lives. You want your economy to survive? You better have the nerdiest kids around, right? I mean, right. That that sums it up. If if you want to be competitive on the global stage, 25 years ago, you need a kid who's all into the tech right now, and worrying about whether they're spending too much time on the tech. He doesn't say this. I'm extrapolating. Right. Worrying about whether that kid is spending too much time on the tech is wasted effort because that kid's going to be on the tech their whole life anyway. As soon as as soon as you're restrictions are gone that's all they're going to be doing anyway so why put them at a disadvantage why not let them have that advantage and at the same time provide your own economy that advantage what do you think of this argument Stephen? i think there's there's uh there's some wisdom here um mm-hmm. and and you know i have not been the biggest you know 
uh, you know, I've not I, I've not taken a huge hard line with my own kids. Right. Um, and you know, I just you know, basically when we're when we're at the dinner table and we're together as a family, let's be together as a family. And, right. Uh, uh, but beyond that, I mean, you know. Um, for example, uh, Matthew, who's uh, just turned 18, uh, in the last the last two or three years, especially, I've pretty much, you know, if you want to, you know, however you want to spend your free time, you know, do it, you know, and that right. and that has been to a huge amount of time, uh, you know, alarmingly, some would say, amount of uh, amount of time uh, on the computer. Um, right. And so, you know, but you have the skills that you develop you know, playing on these devices are skills that you'll use in practically any job now. I mean, right. almost every job, can you, you know, can you name a job that doesn't require some level of computer skills? I mean, uh, just I don't know. about, just about I, if you're a laborer working for a landscaper, right? Perhaps, something like something that. Something very, yeah. very basic like that, perhaps. Yeah. But the landscaper uh, himself has got to be online, right? Or right. herself. That's right. You got to, he, he better be online, or he's not. He's losing a lot of business to his competitors. Right. The, you know, uh, lots of things that you wouldn't consider, you know, um, uh, computer jobs. Uh, you know, being a mechanic. Uh, that's huge. Uh, you know, computer. The computer skills are huge in, in in something like that. And every office job, every job you can imagine, and require these skills. And so, to in de- and what are the best ways to uh, develop things like that? I think playing at it. Um, you know, I, I, I can tell you that I learned a lot in, in my computer class back in high school. I mean, because I, because I loved it. You know, I just loved, you know, uh, you know messing around with those computers. But I'm going to tell you where I learned the majority of, of my computer skills as a kid was just messing around with uh, whatever computer I could find, which back in those days wasn't much, but it was, you know, I did, and 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 uh, that's where I, I really because you know you you can uh, you, you'll spend a couple of hours studying for a class, but uh, you'll spend untold amounts of time playing around and screwing around with stuff because you're having a good time, right? And, because, and that's where you, that's where you learn if because if, it it becomes compelling, right? It's, right. Either either you're playing a game on there or you're doing something that's it's like a game to you. I just want to make this happen. How do I do this, right? What if I right. get into that? Does that I mean, I was basic, it was doing basic programming. And I, you right. know, I, want to, I want to see, I want to take a sprite and be able to control it with a joystick and, and so that I can, you know, and, you know, make it what almost, it was not really a game, Phil, but I was trying to make a game. And right. Right. I learned a lot about programming just, kind of screwing around with that stuff. And there's I, just no telling how many hours I spent doing that kind of stuff back in those days. Of course, it's different. I mean, but uh, my kids play with Scratch and, uh, and other uh, semi-programming uh, languages like that. And, uh, and so coding is, is a big part of it. But just, you know, playing around and, and learning Internet skills um, it was, has been important for my kids, too. So while I've tried to limit it, especially, you know, say below the age of 15, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and to you know and to monitor it real close. After that, I was I've, I've been a real light touch with my kids, and I I hope that's been the right approach. Uh, you know, uh, we 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 parents always err in some way or another, but um, we do we just I don't know do the best we can, I guess. How about we how do. about yourself? Yeah. Uh, what, you have any theories on? I know you don't have any older kids right now, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? 
Uh, well, I I think it's an interesting argument. That's what I think. I haven't I haven't advanced beyond that, except to think that probably a lot of what we're worried about protecting kids against doesn't matter as much. I think in right. some ways, when we say, well, I don't want him on the computer all the time. He's got to be out in the right. world playing with other kids and all that kind of stuff. It's like in right. some ways we're trying to protect an image of the world that doesn't exist anymore. That's right. These, these kids are not growing up in the 80s or yeah. 70s uh, as we did, Phil. Or 50s or wherever you grew up. Yeah, so well, well, you know, whenever you grew up. But, you know, it's a different time now. And so that's the way kids play now. Uh, to yeah. some extent, and uh, yeah, and we still want them to be active and not become, you know, blobs that you know can't move because, and are unhealthy because they, they. But to some extent, this is this is play. Um, you know, and, and, what, but, but what, to go back that, to the point you made a couple of weeks ago, we don't want them to miss out on the best stuff in life. That's right. And, and but, uh, but the point is, maybe growing up in the seventies and eighties. We were already missing out on the best stuff in life, right? There, there might have been, you know what I'm saying? There might have been old timers who would have said, you kids just don't know. You just don't know yeah, what life is. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there, there are people that, you know, might have looked at how I grew up and said, well, you know, you missed out on being a football player, you know, and right. being a great yeah. athlete. Well, I wasn't a good athlete. I mean, that, that skill set was not part of my makeup. And, right. uh, you, know, our, you know, I missed out on playing in the band. Or, 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 or no, you just, you know, you watch TV all the time, and you should have been out building a yeah, raft on the Mississippi exactly, or something like that. You know. There's, you know, I'm going to tell you what uh, kind of made me relax a little bit, Phil, after I read this book. It's called um, Everything Bad is Good for You. Oh yeah, we've remember, talked about you that. You remember that? We've times. mentioned it many times yeah. on the program. It's it's a it's a book by Stephen Johnson, who you know written several books. We keep mentioning on the show, but that particular book, I, I, I relaxed a little bit as a parent after reading that. I said, you know what? Uh, maybe uh, you know, and and he, and he made points like uh, even our television now, it's you know it's so in, um, it's so involved, and and we have. Uh, you know, our television now compared to uh, television back in the 70s, I mean, go back and try to watch some of that crap we watched as kids. Oh, it's true, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, you can't go home again, I tell you, because yeah. that stuff is terrible. It's yeah. really, really awful. Go back and watch, uh, um, you know, the Dukes of Hazard. I, I, yeah. I promise you, you you'll, you'll wish that uh, you, you had left your memories alone uh, of that program because you don't need to go watch it again. It's terrible. Um, but... Television now, the, the, you have like, you know, you might have a program with like 20 different characters you need to keep up with that have, have uh, different things going on in their lives, and you've got to keep track of, of all that and everything. And just even that is, is a learning experience, according to uh, Stephen Johnson. He says that, you know, just, you know, that you are, you are learning even, uh, even watching, sitting there passively watching television. And it's yeah, better. well, we're definitely using our brains differently related to TV. Yeah. Than we than we did uh, in in years gone by. That's that's for sure. I I, 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 I without I without giving a spoiler away. I heard something said offhand on Game of Thrones last night, and it went right by my wife. And I'm like, stop! And we had this this uh, because it was a major revelation. Yeah, um, yeah. That that was like so off the cuff and sort of presented almost as background noise that you could miss it. And I thought about how complex the world of this show is. Oh yeah, that you've got no, characters completely unrelated to these events talking yeah. about these things, and even even stuff that's not 
quite as intense. And I, I, I kind of protect my kids from Game of Thrones because it's, oh, well, I, I wouldn't let my kids it's, go near that. It's adult. I'm uh, just talking about how much better TV is than it. Oh yeah, but you know, it, it's so complex. Well, yeah. you know, something that might be more kid appropriate, like you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, mm-hmm. my kids could tell you ins and outs and little. You know, and you know, we I, I went last night and watched again um, uh, Spider Man with my with my kids. We, we were celebrating two birthdays in my family, and we went and saw Spider Man again. And they were just talking about afterwards little Easter eggs within the program that I w- I missed, but they didn't. I mean, it, it making reference to all the other movies in the, uh, in this universe and uh, and characters that. Uh, um, you know, uh, there's even a Miles Morales uh, reference. That's another. That's another Spider-Man, by the way. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that was there was a reference to that character in uh, in this Spider-Man movie and things like that. I mean, just you know, if you you know if you are involved in that, it's a uh, you know your 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 uh, your brain gets a, a little bit of a workout on that if you know what you're looking for there, and uh, it's it's something that you enjoy. So yes, but we hey, digress. The point we is, digress big time. Uh, yeah, but, the, uh, the, the point the point is maybe you shouldn't spend too much time online. Maybe you should tell your kids to get off the phone once in a while. But on the other hand, there might be an upside to that. I guess we, 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 we <laughs> land exactly where we. Uh, where that's we right. So I, I guess don't stress things. out overly either direction. I guess is the main thing. Just uh, don't stress out. Yeah. One way or another, you're going to mess up your kids. Okay. So <laughs> that's right. It's a given. So, so you know. <laughs> It'll be this or something else, so, yeah, that's right. so don't worry. Um, how about this one? How VR gaming will wake us up to our fake worlds. Now, this is cool because we did this show a couple weeks ago, Is This the Real Life?, talking about how VR makes it harder to know if you're in real reality, and it makes people subject to all kinds of propaganda, all kinds of undue persuasion. It basically makes us potential marks, makes us potential victims for all kinds of persuasion and and coercion that we wouldn't have been before. It's like a, it's a medium designed to, uh, it's not designed to that, but if, if you wanted to design a medium to fake people out and put them under your control, it would be hard to think of one much more compelling than virtual reality. So it's this very dangerous technology in this sense. But here's this author saying, actually, what VR is going to do is it's going to open our eyes to the fact that you're switching between realities all the time, that every quote-unquote reality we live in is just this kind of construct that we've created. And thanks to VR, we'll really get this binary experience of you know, turning the reality off. Right? It's like I'm in the reality, and then I turn it off, and then suddenly I'm in another one. And, and, and this is actually gives us a much better, like better perspective on the world. It, it helps us to put uh, what we think of as reality in perspective to realize that it's kind of limited and subjective and, and full of errors. But it also makes us skeptical of anything that is presented to us as reality because we have that experience constantly of switching reality off. And I think this is actually an excellent point and something that we didn't, I, I don't think, explore quite as deeply as we might have when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Basically, I think we're about to live in the era of VR, and I don't mean by that virtual reality. I mean by that variable reality. I mean the, the idea that, that we're, we're going to constantly be changing our levels of reality, which we do now without thinking about it. When, when you're watching the Spider-Man movie yesterday, you and your kids, you're completely engrossed in a completely different reality. And we did talk about right. how that, you know, that, that has existed all along. When you're, when you're in different contexts, you're experiencing reality differently. 
but your subjective experience is still that of here you are, Stephen, living in the world, living your life, right? Right. You sort of switch that off a little bit when you're consuming content. You switch it off completely or to a very large extent when you're, when you're in a VR world. And I think that we start understanding those distinctions better and we get better. We become kind of purveyors of reality, which we, we never have been before. We, what we've always been up to this point is just kind of consumers of it, acceptors of it, right? Observers of it. Uh, but now we become people who kind of pick and choose how much, you know, how, how seriously we're going to take any given level of reality. Of course, that's going to have a certain amount of risk associated with it, too. But I do like this take very much, and I think, I do I think too. the author here is on to something. I think so. And wouldn't it be nice if virtual reality allowed us to walk in each other's shoes a little bit? Right. To the, to the point that uh, things like what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend becomes unthinkable. We, we right. care about each other a little more because we we can uh, we've 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 had the experience of what it's like to be another type of person within a virtual reality environment. Maybe that helps. I don't know. I'd, I I would like to think so. I think that that would be awesome. If uh, well, one of the, one of the things the author gets into over here, and I should mention this guy's name, Elliot Edge, talks about it, writing over at uh, Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies is how all of our constructs have always been kind of virtual reality. He talks about religion, but he also talks about political ideologies, philosophical ideologies. If, if you look up the word ideology, one of the definitions of it is actually it's this kind of imaginative, abstract construct to explain the world. And so, in fact, every ideology is a virtual reality. And the idea that you don't have to like 100% buy into one, right? That you can step aside from any, any level of reality and say, well, I'm going to look at this one and I'm going to look at that one and I'm going to look at this one over here and see if I can make sense of a broader view of them, right? Because what you have, I think right now, owing in large part to, to just how technology has enabled us to kind of divide ourselves up and to, and to, and to really focus on extreme kind of differences in points of view is we've got really toxic ideologies that, that, you know, are completely focused on making each other into the other. Right. Right. And, and what follows from that is, you know, hatred and violence and, and all the rest of that. But if we can step outside of that, I love the idea of stepping into somebody else's right. But even if you can just step outside of your own for a moment and look at, and, and look at somebody else's and go, well, you know what? I kind of understand how somebody got there. I don't agree with all of it, but I, I, I see them as a person. I see them as a person outside of this kind of imaginative, abstract construct that, I've, that I'm using to, to describe the world. And I think, I think you're right. I think we need it really bad is alternatives to the models that we have and, and the idea that we are going to be in a position to vary it a little, to pick and choose a little between or a little more than we currently do uh, between the models we have, I think is, is very encouraging, yeah, especially in the light I, of things like that. Well, um, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's like technology that should serve us and not us, the technology, our ideology, ideologies should serve us rather than exactly. us. It. And if, uh, if, if your ideology requires you to hate, then it needs you need to rethink it. it you need to you know perhaps uh, you know just you know you know maybe maybe there's some base base things that you believe in that it's hard to put down completely. But you know 
back away even just a little. You know, so you yeah. don't have, so you're not, uh, you know, because I'm going to tell you, hate requires a lot of energy and it requires a lot of time in your life. You know, I, I, I you know, it, you know, you just, <laughs> why, why not uh, put, you know, back away just a little bit from whatever it is that's requiring you to hate and then, and, and take another look around because uh, there's an, I promise you, there's a different way to look at it that doesn't and, require you to hate somebody. And to, and to go back to our topic from, from last week, it is the opposite of, opening up possibilities. It right. closes possibilities. The narrower your ideology and the more constricted it is around fighting off your enemies and you know, de- defining yourself as, as a victim or a persecuted person or someone who has a lot of enemies that have to be destroyed, the, the fewer possibilities you're going to see in the world. Right. You, you open up what, to a different what if, reality. What if a, what if a person that looks completely different from you is actually a, a you know a a potential partner in doing something great right. for the world rather than an enemy just because right. of how they look or maybe they have some different approaches to things you know it's uh, you know it's uh, that that's and again our ideology should serve us and yeah and, and I'm going to take you up this, I'm I'm going to see I'm going to see you and raise you Stephen our, our reality should serve us if you're right. if you're living in a world where you're a persecuted victim where all the evil bad guys are out to get you where you've got to stand strong against all the evil bad guys and it's a fight to the death and you're seething with hate. It's an incredible cop-out, isn't it? I mean, if all your your problems, uh, Phil, are because of some other that has, you know, uh, (laughs) caused you to have a problem, then maybe you don't have to try so hard, right? Yeah, that's right. Show me somebody that has bought into that and, you know, and I, you're, you're, and I'll, I'll show you a loser too. I mean, it, and I, I hate to use such a strong term, but that's what you cause yourself to become by buying into that. That's it's, right. Uh, and so, anyway, I'm sorry. It feels like I've gotten a little preachy on this uh, aspect. Well, things, we we we, we can't help ourselves. The, yeah, the point sometimes. is, the, the, the point is, we need choices. We need we need right. we need choices in in how we experience reality. That actually having having being aware of those choices and being, and realizing that we can move from one to another, I think really opens up possibilities for people. And one of the best possibilities that opens up is that we can get away from these these kind of fearing each other, condemning each other, hating on each other models in favor right. of some much more constructive ones. So that's right. And at least trying on a couple of uh, different realities as as you pointed out. I mean, it, it it may be that you you back away from it and say, "Well, that's that's silly," but it might it might open your eyes just a little bit to another way of looking at things. Yeah, it might it might be silly, but not quite as silly as you thought. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, there, there, might, you know, there might be a couple of, there, ah, well, I see at least what I they kinda, meant by I that. I kind of see where they're coming from. I don't buy into it completely, but, uh, yeah, okay, all right. I, and, and that might help you, uh, you know, when dealing with people that uh, are a little further down that, that particular rabbit hole. And uh, so, you know, so, again, we, uh, we, we don't, need to, uh, don't need to hate on each other so much. And so that's, uh, anyway. I agree. I, I yeah. think I, I think you know. Let's uh, let's live in a, let's live in a better reality, and we got to keep making it up anyway. So now there's limits to that too, obviously. But we'll have to get into that another time. Right. I'll end it with, hey, let's all pick our own reality because the next time we do, an, <laughs> on the other hand, we can talk about. Well, of course, on the other hand, if your reality doesn't include the bus that's barreling down on you when you walk out into the street, that's that's suboptimal too. So we, 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 we'll have to we'll have to talk about the limits 
of selecting your own reality. Well, we were going to talk about how we need to prepare for the 5G jobs apocalypse, but I, I'm afraid our other two topics were just too interesting. So we'll have to save <laughs> that one for another show down the road here someplace. But I, I, I say we uh, perhaps uh, bring it up uh, even as soon as Wednesday. And, uh, well, we may, but of course, Wednesday, we're going to be talking with one of the most interesting people in the world. Jay Storrs Hall is going to be joining us for a two-part interview on Wednesday and Friday. Right. So we might throw that one at him, actually. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I think he would have uh, he'd have some ideas about uh, the 5G jobs apocalypse. Uh, might, see see what Josh that. thinks about that. He's. Yeah. I'm going to declare him the poet laureate of the transhumanist movement or the singularitarians or something like that. He's He's got a creative way of looking at all of these. Talk about talk about opening up a new reality. Tune in. <laughs> yeah, tune in read to our a little of his show. stuff, and uh, it will open your eyes, no doubt. It will open your eyes. All right, Stephen. Well, great talking with you. On the other hand, it was uh, too short, so we'll have to uh, <laughs> we'll do we'll this again. This topic. I, I think this should be a recurring topic. Uh, really. Yeah, I think we're, we're gonna we're gonna revisit this one for sure. Great being with you all. We do look forward to being with you again on Wednesday when Jay Storrs Hall will be joining us. And until next time, live to see it. Mm-hmm.